morning, we're going to look at Psalm 42. So open up Psalm 42 in your Bible. I think it'll be on the screen or on your phone, whatever it is. Let me give you some introductory idea of why we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43 to some degree this morning. I think the last couple of years have been particularly difficult on a lot of people. Many Christians have struggled more than they've ever struggled before, both in their relationship with God, in their relationships with other people, in their understanding of church and their attendance of church, in the vitality of their walk with Jesus, and are, have been, and some are still floundering a bit. And that may be you um, this morning. You're still spinning your wheels a little bit in your relationship with God. I mean, you're here cold winter morning, but you know what's going on in your own soul. You know the effect that COVID has taken. Um, so this, what we're going to look at at Psalm, in Psalm 42 this morning is for, for some of us, it will be a current and very pertinent word for now, like where you are now, or where somebody who you're married to or very good friends with is struggling with their soul, or it'll be something that's going to stand you instead for the times when, when you face um, spiritual difficulty and weightiness, and I'm going to call it, call it depression because that's the word that's used here. There is, and I'll talk about this a bit later, there is psychological and chemical depression. I'm not an expert in this, so I'm going to you know, stay in my lane here. Uh, that needs counseling and medication and all those kinds of things, and we believe in those things, and they're good and godly things. But there's something that I'm maybe more familiar with is a spiritual kind of depression where you can feel a million miles away from God. You, you may know a whole bunch of things to be true, but your, your vital lived experience, that's a, that's a term we use around these days, your lived experience is very, very different from what you understand and what you think it should be and what you hear other people are experiencing in their walk with the Lord. And I want us to dive into that today. What, what do you do when you hit patches of spiritual difficulty, darkness, depression, hardship? What do you What do you do? And so we're going to look at a guy who's in the throes of it. We're going to learn and lean into his experience, and then we're going to see how he deals with himself and what God has put in here for our help. So let's read Psalm 42. We're actually going to read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. The reason being is that originally Psalm 42 and 43 are one psalm. Uh, and you'll see that because the language is the same across both psalms. Uh, we're mainly going to deal with Psalm 42, though. I'm not really going to deal much with Psalm 43, but we're going to read them both anyway um, because the themes cross over and they were meant to be read together. So, Psalm 42. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him my Savior, and my God. I am deeply depressed. 
Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All, all your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person. For you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God. To God, my greatest joy, I will praise you with the lie God, my God. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's pray together. Father, as we ask week by week, we pray that you would teach us now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us, that you would open up our eyes to see things in your word that we need to see, that our hearts would be ready to hear, that you would soften the soil of our hearts to receive the words of the living God amongst us. We thank you that you continue to speak. We thank you that um, church, worship, the sermons, they're not just dead and road functions that we go through, they're interactions with the living God with living words that shape us and strengthen us and change us. And so we now lay our hearts and our lives before you and ask you, our good Father, to speak and to shape, to encourage, to teach, to unblock our ears that we may hear the tenderness of your voice again to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what... What condition is our psalmist in this morning? What condition is he in? Well, there's a few things. First thing you see is that he's removed from God's people. That's the, that's the immediate context of Psalm 42 and 43. We're not sure exactly who wrote this um, psalm. Uh, a lot of the psalms have got like an author. This one doesn't. But what we read by... Uh, what we learn by reading it is that he used to be somehow involved. We don't know if he was a priest or a worship leader or something, but he used to be involved in the temple worship, and now he's not. He's actually miles and miles away from the temple. It says that he's up near Lebanon, uh, Mount Mizar. It's If you look on a map, if your Bible's got fancy maps at the back, have a look. Go to Jerusalem and just go north, all the way to Lebanon, basically. He's miles away from where he wants to be. We're not exactly sure why, if he's in exile what's keeping him, but he is separated from the gathering of God's people, and this causes a massive longing in his heart. That's how the psalm starts. Uh, 
Verse 1, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. He doesn't have like this casual like, yeah, be cool. Like, I'm going to make transitions between his experience and our experience the whole way through. So hopefully I don't lose you. Um, he's, he's not saying like, it'd be cool to go to church if I've got time. Like, he's like, like a deer longs for streams, like desperately needs to find water in order to live. That's how my soul is longing to be with God. I thirst for God, for the living God. When can I come and appear before God? He wants to be back there in Jerusalem, in God's city, with God's people. It's not a casual thing. And I think it's an arresting verse for us because COVID has done weird things to our sense of the priority of the gathering. Now, I realize I'm talking to the choir here, but I mean, you're here, you know, if you're like, okay, Doug, well, let's hope the people on the live stream or the people who missed this morning, they get that because we're here, you know, but I want to remind us and provoke us all that, that gathering with God's people, um, it should be the priority of our lives and our hearts. Sometimes we don't have this same longing to be with God's people or to be with God. We're like a better option, Bob, Quint used to say, like, if something else comes up that's cool, like, We'll go with that, and if we don't, then we'll go to church because there's nothing else to do. And that's what, you know, it's a good thing to do. For, it's good for us. It's, it's more than good for us, guys. It's good for each other, and it's life-giving and essential for our souls to be with God. And here you see right at the beginning, he has this longing for God. He has a longing not just for God. When can I go and appear before you, God? I long for you, God. He has a longing for corporate worship. Have a look at verse 4. I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God. He's remembering uh, worship services in the temple. And he's like, oh, I just want to be back there. I want to be back there. I don't think he just wants to be back leading the worship team. I think he wants to be with God's people, worshiping God together. There is something different when we worship God together. You can put, um, I almost said a CD but that would date me, wouldn't it? Like, some of you don't even know what a CD is. Like, you could put music on at home and have a great worship session and stuff like that. It's different. It's different to gathering with God's people to worship Him together. That's what the Bible says, that God inhabits the praises of His people, plural, not His person at home. It, it's good for you to keep and to, you know, some of our souls are deeply fed by those worship times at home, but you were designed to worship God with his people because that will be your eternity. He remembers this and he longs to be there. Verse 6, I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan. He's depressed. What does he do in his depression? He remembers gathering with God's people. That's where he wants to be. Now, this guy has a deep, deep longing to be with God and to be with God's people. Second thing you see in him is he, he is depressed. He's depressed, and he's just, frankly, he's overwhelmed. He's, he, and again, he has a, I think he has a spiritual depression, not another type of a depression, but it's real. It's very real, and he describes it in such beautiful, powerful language. He says, in, I think it's in verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. It's like this guy is just like sobbing, basically, day and night. He's, he's overwhelmed to the point of not just like, you know, a crocodile tear. 
he's weeping, he's, he's heartbroken, he is, he's a mess. He's a mess, and he describes, do you see in verse 5, a refrain that's repeated three times through Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? This is the state of this guy's soul. Dejected, in turmoil. He's not doing well. He's not doing well. This guy is, this guy is struggling. Most of us probably wouldn't say we have um, often experienced seasons where tears have been our food day and night. It's pretty extreme kind of thing. But maybe you have gone through or are going through those periods where you just feel, you feel depressed. You feel overwhelmed by life. It can happen. That's why the Psalms are here, guys. These are not outliers. If that's your experience, it's not, there's something, it's not something wrong with you. This is the, the human experience. That's why these Psalms are there for us to connect us. God understands dark nights of the soul, deep depression, feeling overwhelmed. Like you're not coping. What does he say in verse 6? He just says it straight. No mess in the words. I am deeply depressed. This is not, this is not a guy in good condition. Have a look in verse 7. How's this picture? Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows, your waves have swept over me. A lot of the commentators think that where he was up on Mount Mazar, that's the source of the Jordan. And at the source of the Jordan, it sort of it tumbles down. And he may have been sitting there looking at this waterfall coming down and just seeing there's just this roaring of waters at the source of the Jordan and thought, that's about what my life feels like. I just feel like I'm in this like washing machine where whose waves and breakers? All your breakers and waves have swept over me. This is different. This is different. This is not life is difficult and tough and I'm battling now. My bosses are an idiot. My boss is an idiot. My kids are giving me a hard time. Oh, financial problems. He's like, all of your waves and breakers have washed me. He recognizes God has put him in the washing machine. These things have come from God's hand. This depression this difficulty, the state of his soul. God is the one who is putting him through all of this or allowing him to go through all of this. The picture I have of this, I don't know if you've ever swum in the sea, um, but down in Mschlange, uh, that's the place where we grew up going and we went a couple of years ago with our kids and the, the, the whole beach front has changed there in the north coast of Durban. It's I remember swimming there and having lots of fun body surfing, and every now and then you would get dumped. These days, it feels like it's more hectic. It's like an episode of Survivor going into the ocean. There you like, so you like, make sure your will is in good standing, and then you head into the ocean there. You know, that's honestly what it felt like. And my kids wanted to go, and I was like, guys, I don't know if this is such a great idea, you know, but they're like thrill seekers, and they're like, how, how, how bad can it be? And I was like, here we go. I'm telling you, we got cleaned up by so many waves. I mean, if you've ever been properly dumped by a wave, like a proper washing machine, and you stand up and you're like, the, the first thing you think is, is my cozy on? Thank you, Jesus. Am I actually breathing? Am I above the water? And then you're like trying to orientate yourself, which direction is the beach? Like, am I upright or like whatever? Like, I, this feels like sand, you know, kind of thing. You've got sand in every opening. 
you know, and it's, it's just like an pl- unpleasant experience. And it's, it's, what's the word, discombobulating? Is that actually a word? Some, a friend of mine uses it all the time, and it just sounds fancy, so I'm going to use it. I don't know if it's correct, but that's how I, that's how you feel when you get up from getting proper washing machine. And you're like, thank you, Lord, that I get to go again, and I'm alive still. That almost killed me. But you're totally disorientated. And that kind of is what it feels like to me when I read what this guy says. All of God, all of your waves and breakers have washed over me. And you're spiritually disorientated. You can't quite figure out what is going on in your life. What is God doing in your life? What is, what is God saying? How is God leading? What is happening? You didn't think it would be like this. You didn't think it would be like this. And yet these things have come from God. That's the state of this guy's life and his soul. He's depressed. He's overwhelmed. He feels like he's been in God's washing machine. It gets worse, though. Have a look in verse 9. He feels forgotten. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Man, that's a line, hey? Why have you forgotten me? And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that again and again. Sometimes you experience, you feel like God has forgotten you. He's busy, you know, he's just got a hand school in the Ukraine, you know, whatever else. He's <laughs> it's all these other things, way more important things in the world to worry about. But you, he's forgotten about you. Because you've prayed and you've come to church and you've asked. Whatever, and whatever it is, that's the deep longing of your soul or the deep struggle of your life, you feel God has forgotten you, overlooked you. That's what he's saying. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It gets worse. Not only does he feel forgotten and abandoned by God, he's getting mocked and he's getting ridiculed. What does his adversary say to him? Where is your God? Where is your God? But you speak a great game. You tell us all about this God who you worship and he's all of these things and faithful you are, faithful you will be. Where is he now? Where is he now? You seem to be really struggling. If we look at your life, you're not exactly a poster child for Christianity. You don't make us want to sign up for this package that you're on. It's like your life looks like a mess. Look at it. Listen to you, bud. We can hear you. Where is God? Love, tears, food, day and night. Oak's not in a great place. He's not an excellent advertisement for Christianity. And the guys are looking at him and saying, but like, I know, we know where you should be worshiping down in Jerusalem, but you're stuck here. Where is your God? Where is your God? It says his adversaries taunt him. I think this is, this is particularly tough to endure. It's particularly tough. Maybe, maybe you experience that in patches. Maybe you're experiencing it now. People who are close to you would say, where's your God? You claim this faith in Jesus, claim to be a believer, that God will be with you, help you, provide for you, lead you, do all these things. Where's he? We didn't see any evidence in your life, in your circumstances. There's no difference between us and you. Where's this God of yours? What's the point of being a Christian? You seem to struggle the same way we struggle. Where, Where is your God? Sometimes we have to say, well, he's there. He's there, but... It's hard, especially when people taunt you. It says that day and night they taunt him. Day and night. You can just feel the agony in his soul, man. They are on my case all the time. Where's your God? 
where's your God? Where's your God? This God you claim to believe in just doesn't seem to come through for you. So, Isaac's not in a good state of mind in his soul. And sometimes maybe you can connect with some of that this morning or will be able to. What does he do? How do you help your soul when it's in a depressed and difficult place? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that you engage God with honest questions. You engage God with honest questions. Have a look in verse 9. It says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? He will say to God, my rock. Where does his question go? It goes to God. He asks God, why have you forgotten me? He doesn't think, I think God's forgotten me. He goes to God and asks God, his rock, why have you forgotten me? God is big enough to withstand your fiercest questions and the strongest shaking of your fist around your circumstances and your difficulties. There he is. God, why have you forgotten me? He's not expecting that God's going to strike him with lightning or shun him. He's bringing his agony of his heart to God and saying, God, why have you forgotten me? That's the first place we start. Engage God with honest questions. Have a look in verse 4. I remember this as I pour out my heart. God loves it when we pour out our hearts to him. Because here's the, I mean, we know this. He already knows. He knows what you're thinking. But I think God longs to hear it from your lips. He longs to hear our honest um, appraisal of what is going on. And just our, our point out of our hearts. Say, God, I've got these questions. And I'm struggling. And this is the state of my soul. This is what I see happening in my life. Why have you forgotten me? Not pretending it's all okay. Engaging God with honest questions. The second thing I think you see him doing is reminding his soul of truth. Reminding his soul of truth. There are two things under this. The first is the incredible power of remembering. The incredible power of remembering. Verse 4 says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with the, the procession and I worshipped him. He takes his mind back to a time when he was worshipping with God's people. He says, I'm going to remember. I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember those times. Yeah. Because it's not always like that. And that's why God gives us sometimes experiences so that we can go back and remember. Say, yeah, you were faithful then. You were faithful then. You were faithful. You were with me there. You are real. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. If you open up your Bible and you do a word search of remember and don't forget all the way from the Old Testament, this is how God has wired it in for his people. He's saying, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember. Every time you see God's people losing their way, particularly in the Old Testament, it's because they've forgotten who God is and what he's done. And there is incredible, incredible power in remembering what God has done in your life and who he is. Verse 6 says, I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you. I'm really, really struggling here, God, so what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember you. I'm going to allow my memory to go back to the God that I know to the God who's been faithful. I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember. There is massive power in remembering. And there is transforming power. This is the second part. There's transforming power in truth. You see this 
this kind of dance all the way through Psalm 42 where he's, he's declaring the state of his soul and then, he's, and then he's declaring truth and then he's being honest with his soul and then he's declaring truth and he's sort of backwards and forwards here. Have a look in verse 8. This should hit you just like a ton of bricks. It says, the Lord will send his faithful love by day. That term faithful love, chesed, that is the word for God's covenant love. It's God's love that he sets on you that has nothing to do with your response to it. God is the covenant-keeping one. He takes hold of you. Chesed, it's this faithfulness of his love. He says, the Lord will send that by day. The Lord will come to me in his covenant love by day, and he will not let me go. This is some of the truth that he speaks to his own soul. And it's incredibly helpful and to him, I believe, and it's massively transformative in our lives. When you're struggling, when you're struggling, when your soul is battling, you need to remind yourself of true things. And the truest thing, this is the truest thing, is that God has covenant love with those who he has called to himself. Brennan Reinecke did not choose God. God chose him and set his affection on him and keeps this man with covenant love. So it doesn't matter how he feels about his relationship with God on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't matter how he feels. What matters is what's true. And what's true is that God has covenant love towards him. And that is the same for each of you who call on the name of the Lord Jesus and have placed your faith in him. It doesn't matter if your, if your faith is driven by your feelings, you're going to lose your way. It needs to be driven by the, power, the transforming power of the truth. Listen to that refrain in verse 5. He said in 11 and in Psalm 43, how does he refer to God? He says, you are my Savior and my God. I mean, in the midst of spiritual depression, but you are still, you are still my Savior and my God. You need saving, and he has saved you. You need a God, and he is that. He's not the God. He's not you are, not Savior and God. You are my Savior and my God. You're not uh, a theory. You're not an idea. You are mine. You are mine, and I am yours. The transforming power of truth. Let me read some more truth to you over your souls from Romans 8 this morning. From verse 31. What then? What then are we to say about all of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He is at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can anything separate you from the love of God in Christ? The answer is what? The answer is that nothing can separate you 
from the love that God has for you in Jesus. The next thing you see with him is that there's worship in his waiting and in his weeping. This is the guy whose tears are his food day and night. What does it say in verse 8? The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. His song will be with me in the night. Guys, I want to say this, that one thing that I have learned and am learning is that you don't wait until you feel like worshiping. You don't wait until you feel like worshiping. You worship because he's worthy of worship. And sometimes your soul catches up with the feelings. You catch the feelings. It doesn't matter whether they come or not. We worship in the waiting and we worship in the weeping. Some of my most profound moments of worshiping God have been with tears streaming down my face. When I feel a million miles away from Him, when I'm going through the most things, suffering the most, those are the most special moments because God gives you a grace to worship Him in the midst of your weeping and you're waiting for resolution. God has not delivered. God has not vindicated yet. God has not resolved everything. This guy is still stuck in the Jordan. He's not in Jerusalem where he wants to be. And he says, the song, your song will be with me in the night. He's going to find a way to worship. Is that sometimes you worship your way through the weeping and the waiting. It's a weapon. Worship is a weapon. I don't want to sound like a crazy charismatic preacher. I don't have a white hanky on me. They would have made that point far more uh, impressive. You know, some, you can lose your way with that. Like, ah, but it's true. You see it in the scriptures that worship is a weapon. Worship is a spiritual weapon against spiritual malaise, spiritual depression, the darkness that comes against us. We worship. We worship our way through things sometimes. Sometimes it's easy. You come to church, it's like, it's just so easy to worship. Sometimes you have to worship your way through things. And in the midst of weeping, we come to our God and we worship Him. And we're going to close our service this morning uh, in a few minutes' time by singing, It is well with my soul. It's a great song, isn't it? You know what's so great about that song? Is that it's a declaration of something that's true about you, even when you don't feel that things are well with your soul. That's the power of that hymn, is that you sing it, doesn't matter how your soul feels, you're singing the truth over your soul that ultimately it is well with your soul. That it ultimately is well because what needed to happen to your soul has happened. You have been reconciled to the God that loves you and who you were distant from. It is well forever with your soul. It doesn't matter how your soul feels. And so we sing that song. We declare truth over ourselves even when you don't feel it. That's the the power of that hymn. And here you see our friend, our psalmist, worshiping in his weeping and his waiting. The last thing is that you should speak to your soul more than you listen to it. You should speak to your soul more than you listen to it. See here in two psalms, it's repeated three times, the same phrase. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why... Are you in such turmoil? Two questions. Then he speaks. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God. He, he, he sits his soul down in a chair and gives it a lecture. That's, 
some of our problem is that we listen to ourselves more than we speak to ourselves. You wake up in the morning and you're just assaulted by a whole bunch of thoughts and stuff, and then we let them lead us astray. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Old language. Why art thou downcast, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. And I will speak to you. Guys, you need to learn the discipline of speaking to our own souls and gospeling ourselves. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, not just to the whole world. It doesn't matter if you learn how to preach the gospel to the whole world if you don't know how to preach the gospel to your own soul. And you need to sit your soul down in a chair sometimes and have a good talking to yourself to say, I'm not going to listen to myself. I'm going to speak to myself. And when I'm going to speak to myself is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. I'm going to wash it over my own soul. The last thing I'll say this morning is that for us to remember that we live before the face of God. If you see in verse 43, he says, um, then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. He's, he, he knows God's going to vindicate him and bring him to his holy mountains. He says, where can I go and appear before God? That is, that's an Old Testament understanding. He had to go to Jerusalem to be with God. That was where the worship happened. For us, this side of the cross, what's true for us? What's true for us is that we've seen the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have placed our faith in him. And now because of that, all of our life is lived before the face of God. There's this old phrase. It's a, it's a Latin phrase. It's called Coram Deo. Coram Deo, it's a translation. I want to translate Latin translation of the Vulgate. I'm not going to get lost in the history here, but Coram Deo, it means before the face of God. And theologians use it to describe your lived experience, that all of your life is lived before the face of God. That as you leave, you don't leave God when you leave church this morning. All of your life is lived before the face of God. Now that can make people dissolve in terror. It's like, oh my gosh, God's going to see everything I do. It depends what, what you what comes into your mind when you picture the face of God. When you picture his face, what, 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 do you, what kind of posture do you see on his face? What, what expression do you see on his face? The loving, tender, compassionate care of a father or a stern frown? Which act are you in? Come on, try harder. Do better. Sort yourself out. And we know that the truth of the gospel reminds us that the face of God to us in Christ is this. I love you. and You are mine. You're forgiven because you are in my son. And now everything that goes to him comes to you. There's nothing more to achieve. There's nothing to accomplish. You just get to live in the joy and the freedom of the gospel. We live before the face of God.
times when your soul is struggling, you need to do those things and fight for joy and fight for joy. Let me pray for us as we come to God this morning in the different places that our souls are before we worship Him together. Father, thank you for the, the truth of, of your word. Thank you for the, the richness of these words that you've given to us and that you continue to speak to us. Thank you that your word covers all the, the different states of our soul, of our lives, all the different conditions that we may find ourselves in. And I, I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray particularly for those amongst us who are struggling uh, in their walk with you this morning, who may feel some of these things that we've looked at, this, the psalmist was struggling with feeling forgotten by you, feeling like your eyes are just on others and not on them, wondering where is, where is God, why have, you, why have you not done what you even, Father, have said you would do? Why is there an emptiness in our souls? Why is there a struggle, even a struggle to long for God? There's just, there's just a coolness in our hearts, a, a depression, a weightiness, a heaviness. I pray for those who are amongst us who are experiencing that. And I pray, Father, this morning that you, our good Father, would remind them again this morning of the truth of who they are in you and that you would wash over us all of your goodness. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning, you would remind them that you are with them. They are held in your hands. You love them so deeply. You care for them. They live their lives before your face. That you're working all things together for their good. That you will never abandon us. You will never turn away from us. That you are faithful. It doesn't matter how we feel. You are the faithful one who has set his affection on us. I pray that you would minister those truths into our heart this morning. By the Holy Spirit, we need you to speak. We need the Spirit to impress those things on us when we're struggling. I pray that you would give us grace to help others that we know and who we live with and who we journey with who may be struggling in soul this morning. Help us, merciful God. We, we need you. We pray that you would increase our longings for you. We pray that we would be like that psalmist, like the deer longing for water, longing for the living God. We know that being with you is the best thing for us. Being in your presence is the most transformative thing for us. And so we pray, would you give us longing for you and would you presence us in your presence? Would you come and meet with us even this morning as we worship now? Give us grace to worship and to declare the truth of who you 